In this episode, I talk with international dressage writer, trainer, and author David DeWispelier. We talk about his love for horses and his thoughts about the dressage world and what makes him and his horses happy. I found him to be a kindred spirit, and I'm so happy to have connected with him. I loved our conversation, and I think you will too. So here we go, episode 149, Listening to Horses with David DeWispelier. I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. David DeWispelair is an international dressage writer, trainer, and author. He has two books called, one is called Riding with Feeling, and the second book is called My Horses Have Something to Say. Born in New York, he worked for many years from his farm in Belgium and is currently based in Wellington, Florida. He's trained several horses to Grand Prix was two-time U.S. freestyle champion and competed successfully throughout the USA and Europe. He's trained with a number of well-known trainers, among them Gabriella Grillo, Dr. Reiner Klimke, Herbert Rabine, and Arthur Kottis. David currently gives clinics in Germany, Switzerland, Belgium, Netherlands, and the USA. All right, let's go right to the conversation. We're here with David de Wispelier and uh, David. Thank you so much for agreeing to come join me on this podcast. <laughs> it's my pleasure, Karen. So, yeah, so um, I knew of you, I knew of your name, and I'm sure I'd seen you at shows, you know, from the dressage competition world. Um, and I really took note of you later when I saw you riding on Garrett Heuschman's DVD, um, If Horses Could Speak. And I had come across that DVD at a time when I was really kind of changing what I was doing with horses. And I was, I was taking note of people who, you know, were beautiful riders and, you know, especially not doing roll curve and things like that. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so then when sort of out of the blue one day, I got a Facebook message from you I thought, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and we ended up uh, talking on the phone for quite a while. And I think, um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I found a kindred spirit. No, oh, for sure. Yeah, maybe you can share what made you reach out that day. Yeah, well, it's actually it was on Instagram. But um, I, yeah, I see your posts and um, I really admire what you do. And, and I see a lot of, um, yeah, we, a lot of, we do a lot of the same things. Um, we're looking for the same things. We want the horse to be happy and want to be with us. And um, it's funny you you in one post you had a horse. Um, I think I think you maybe had dismounted and untacked it. And you were carrying the tack, and the horse followed you. And I did the exact same thing um, <clears throat> in um, when I lived in Belgium. I um, a company came out and they were called we horse at that time. I think it's changed now. Um, maybe that's the new name, but anyway, they did some films, um, you can educational films. And with one of my homebred mares, um, she was only five years old, but she was just, she was an old spirit. And I was in the habit of doing the exact same thing at the end of the ride. I would dismount in the, it was in an indoor arena and, um, but the door at the far end was open and I would take the tack off. I would, I didn't have to carry it. I put it down on a bench right next to me and she would follow me out and back to her stall. And, uh, so yeah, I see a lot of, um, similarities and, you know, things that you do and things that I do. And, um, I just thought, um, yeah, I'd like to speak with you and and uh, meet one day. Yeah, I think that would be certainly fun fun for me. And um, yeah, you know that that simple act of untacking and then you know giving the horses, I think, some 
freedom and some choice. Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the happy athlete and, mm-hmm. and, you know, how do you measure that? I think that's one of the difficult things is how do you measure? Uh, wouldn't it be interesting at the end of, you know, an Olympic competition, you had to halt, dismount. That would be really interesting. <laughs> and then leave and see where your, if your horse followed you or not. That'd be an extreme situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it is, it's hard to, um, it's hard to judge some of these things um, using the, the current measures of success in the dressage world, but um, giving my horses some freedom and choice and seeing what they choose is very informing. Yes. You know, no, for sure. And yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I think I've, I'm, I, I've, that's always been a goal for me. Um, but even when I was competing internationally at Grand Prix, um, and I've, I've refined my, well, I continue to refine my, um, my communication with the horses. Um, when I look back at how I rode back then, it, it wasn't as refined as I would like to have had it. But, um, I still, um, for example, I did an interview with, um, dressage today back in the, in the nineties and, um, I remember one of the things that I said was when I got on my Grand Prix horse Figaro that I would, um, I never took him straight to the arena. We'd always go for a little hack first and I would let him choose if he wanted to go left or right that day. So that's something I've been doing for a long time. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I, posted something around that um recently in like a reel or something like that mm-hmm. and i was amazed at the range of the comments from people who are like you know yes of course and i think my the what i wrote on it was you can't you can't follow you can't lead that which you cannot follow or something very mm-hmm. profound like that but there were a lot of comments of you know, don't, you can't let your horse get away with that or they'll learn to just push around. Mm -hmm. And it, (laughs) yeah, my reaction is just yours. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, and when you look at, at how horses are kept traditionally and the life that they have, they have so little choice. Yes. You know, from, going, going to the stall, to the arena, to the, you know, maybe quote unquote turnout. But, um, if you think, and you know, to the cross ties, to the, the, when I really look at my horses and I think, well, how many different opportunities can I get, get them to like choose Mm -hmm. to have a choice and have the freedom to express it. And, uh, and I, I think what something that comes with that is, you know, what do you do when your horse chooses something that you don't want to do. And that's when it Mm -hmm. gets really interesting (laughs) or when they choose to say no. Yeah. But I, I think it's worth finding out. Well, and I mean, that's why the title of my book um, that I know you've read, um, my horses have something to say, you know, I just, uh, they should have something to say. They should have a lot to say and we, it's up to us to listen. And, um, yeah, that's something else that you and I really have in common is that, you know, we like to give the horses choices and, um, and I, I, you know, a lot of people also, you know, look, look at what I do with my own horse and, and the freedom that I give him. And they, they think, Oh, are you crazy? He could get hurt. Oh yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so my current horse that I've I bred, I mentioned um, Figaro, who was the horse of a lifetime. He was extremely talented, and um, my book is dedicated to him. And um, and uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes with him, and I learned. But anyway, I, I I wanted to breed another horse like him, which is not possible. But I thought I'd come close with one colt that I've kept now. Um, that's Florentine. And, um, even when I had my own barn in, in Belgium, um, you know, he's, I know that Florentine is happiest when he's eating. (laughs) And, um, so I would, I would ride him in the indoor arena. And then, and also, by the way, we were a seven minute hack from the forest between 
Belgium and Germany with endless trails. So we did a lot of trail riding too. But um, anyway, I would school him in the arena and I would ride outside, dismount. There was a small patch of grass. Um, and mind you, the my property was fenced in, so it's not like he could get out on the road. But he could go to the mare barn. He, he's a stallion, but um, food is his first priority. So I would untack him and leave him there grazing. And I'd take my tack in and put it away and I'd give him, you know, maybe 10 minutes and, um, and I'd take a carrot and I would go out and call his name and he would stop grazing, come to me. Um, and again, I did have a carrot in my hand. Um, so it wasn't just me, but, uh, and he would follow me into the barn down the aisle past seven other stalls with the top doors open and he didn't stop to mess with any of the other horses and into his stall and where his carrot was waiting. And one day I, I didn't have time to do this, um, to go get him myself. I had to get on another horse right away. So I asked my, my groom, my working student, um, I said, you know, I'm leaving Florentine out there grazing, but I put a, a carrot on the, the hood of the tractor, which was parked nearby. So in, you know, about 10 minutes, could you go out and take the carrot and show it to him and call his name and then have him walk to, to his stall with you? And um, she said, sure, of course. So after I rode the next horse, I came back in and said, so did that work? And she said, well, um, <clears throat> he took the carrot from the tractor and brought himself in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was so, he didn't even wait. He's like, well. I've had enough grass. I think I'm kind of, you know, like to get to my carrots. And apparently he had seen me put the carrot on the tractor <laughs> and he walked over, took the carrot himself, you know, self-service and walked himself down the aisle and into his stall. <laughs> and I just thought that was great. And I just, you know, those are the things that make me happy. Um, I love that story. And, um, I just, yeah, I just, you know, and also trust, as you know, begins with, we have to take the first step. You know, we have to show the horse that we trust them. And how do you show a horse that you trust them if you don't give them freedom? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, you know, yes, exactly. You, and again, cause you, they choose, they get to choose. And if they make wrong choices, then we try to correct them and show them what's right. And, um, yeah, and, and when they when they make good choices and you reward them, then that becomes the habit. It's really not that difficult, but you have to, you know, be patient and take your time, and that has to be the goal. You know, not how how quickly can I get them to pre Saint George? Right, right. I think a lot of times mm -hmm. um, training horses is like the 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 skill of getting horses to do things that they don't want to do. <laughs> and, you know, my goal yes. is more about, you know, the game of cooperation. So I, um, another um, friend of mine, who's a, a natural horseman and he does a lot of Liberty specializes in Liberty. And he has this thing called, you know, Liberty as a lifestyle. And I thought that's pretty cool. And my place is set up. Like you'd said, like he, the horses can be loose in the main area, but it's still, mm -hmm safe and inside the property and yes. and so we play a little game of you know we have to we think if we need to put a halter on but we do everything at liberty as much as we can and it's interesting the times when i feel like oh i need to get a halter it's usually because i'm rushing or the horse really doesn't want to do it and i'm like we got to just get this done but i'm amazed at how cooperative the horses are and how much like you said they kind of get what is happening and if they're happy and calm and trusting i find they tend to work with you yes <laughs> in in very surprising ways like that story you told like stuff like that just ha seems to happen a lot um and it's it is it's magical and you know i come in at the end of the day and i'll tell stories to my husband and they're usually stories like you just told like you wouldn't believe it i was just thinking i was good i needed to move ovation and then i looked up and there he was and <laughs> right where he needed to be and yeah and and i think you know in talking to you it's so clear that you 
you love your horses. Um, I think a lot of people will say they love their horses, but it's the, you know, you feel the relationship and the being of the horse and, you know, your book, um, my horses have something to say starts with a story about a top dressage trainer. I mean, really one of the highest level of successes in the world who at dinner one night told you that he didn't like to talk about horses over dinner because quote, he hated the stinking things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read that that's right at the beginning of your book. And I just like, you know, that just hit me because it's like the, he said the quiet part out loud. And I think there's unfortunately a a lot of that in the horse world. And, you know, it seems to explain a lot about how horses are treated in, in, you know, in the competition world. Um, and maybe not even competition, just in, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of that going around everywhere, but, um, yeah, maybe can you talk a little bit about that experience? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say when he said, uh, I hate the stinking things, but of course went through what went through my head was, "Mm, well, that's interesting. Why did you choose them as your profession? And then, of course, I answered my own question in in my in my head to myself. I said, "Well, it's because you make a lot of money doing this." And um, he also has a lot of stress and a lot of lawsuits that come along with it. But um, yeah, it's he's monetarily rewarded for doing bad things to beautiful horses. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's sad. Um, and you know, you, you said something a minute ago, you said a lot of people say they love their horses and, um, and we're like, "Mm, well, it doesn't really show, (laughs) but, um, while I was living in Europe, I was offering some five day clinics. Um, and, uh, this one, um, young woman came from the Netherlands with her Frisian gelding. And, um, and, you know, you could tell she, she really did love the horse, but, um, in the first lesson or the second lesson, she said, well, my, my trainer at home told me that, um, to teach my horse Traver, I needed draw reins, rowled spurs and a long whip. Wow. And this is, of course, after I'm saying now, just give a light touch with your leg and be soft with your hand and all this opposite of what she'd been told. And during the five days, um, I also had one theory lesson and I I happened to have um, a DVD of the warm-up arena at the Dutch National Championships um, <clears throat> from some years ago. And... Um, it, just saw a lot of you know these top riders very successful big names riding their horses around in roll core um pulling on the curb rein and but at the same time they're talking to each other and laughing so it's to become such mm-hmm. a habit to to pull on the horse's mouth um with the nose band cranked so they can't open their mouth and pulling on both reins and putting the horse into very uncomfortable positions. And you know what? While I'm showing this, the the young woman that owned the Frisian, she started to cry because it was at that moment that she realized that she'd been torturing this animal that she loves. But, you know, she just, that's the problem is that people see these successful riders, um, that's how they ride. And, and so then they think, well, I, go, I guess that's the way I have, I should do it. And, uh, but it was at exactly. that moment, it was a big eye opener for this, for this young woman. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's so important to have a different model because you're right. People, you know, there's lots of people who they're just trying to do the right thing. And so they're looking to the, you know, quote unquote, successful people to do what they do, right? That's being rewarded. It must be the right way to do things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had this assumption that everybody got into horses because 
like I did, like, cause I was just a little girl in love with horses. And I know from your story, you know, you were a little boy in love with horses mm-hmm. and just, you know, it grew from there. But I, I think that's not a good assumption because there's some people I think who just get into it cause they like dominating things or they, yes, unfortunately. you know, they, they like it for different reasons. I'm sure this is probably over overly dramatic, but it's to make a point, you know, I'm sure that slave owners quote, took very good care of their slaves, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, you know, really honoring the, the individual beings that they are. So I think there's a, there's a, but I love what you did be, I think there are a lot of people who are into horses because they love horses and they just, you know, went astray and to remind them to sort of step back and show like, look, <laughs> look at what you're doing. And I've had similar stories of taking a noseband, a, a, you know, crank or a drop noseband off and have pe- having people burst into tears. And I just threw the whole thing away mm-hmm. and they know on the inside, but they are, they're trained themselves to like, well, this is what the professional told me. Right. So this is what I need to do. Yes. Yeah. 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 So there's um also was a, a story in your book um when you were at one of the international dressage trainers clubs um and the horse was in a demonstration and you know on a cool day and sweating and you know to you obviously becoming more and more stressed out and then I guess you pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, the horse was grinding his teeth, wringing its tail and um yeah, and the, the president of the club took the microphone and said, yes, here we have a horse that's very happy to go forward and all positive things. And I just I raised my hand, and that's what you do at these meetings. And then someone hands me the microphone, and I said, well, I find this horse to be quite tense. Um, I said, he's, he's grinding his teeth. He's sweating too much for the temperatures that we have this morning, and for the amount of work that he's done so far and silence. And the president said, Oh, well, I don't see that. And then it was actually a, a Dutch trainer that was standing in the back, raised his hand and he said, well, actually I agree with David. And, um, so that was, it was nice. Uh, <laughs> there was someone that could, that was seeing the same thing I was seeing and, um, and then after this, after this horse you know, did its thing and a couple of horses later, there was a, a nice five-year-old Hanoverian that came in and, um, it was the same trainer, not the same rider, but the same trainer that was presenting the horse and talking about what they're doing. And, and I heard, uh, it was a German trainer, um, but in schooling the French up and coming horses and riders and a German trainer standing behind me said in, in German to the, the trainer that was presenting this other horse, he said, Oh, be careful. He, he might sweat. So th- they were making fun of my comment, oh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, and I, at these meetings, I also often felt, like a Martian, <laughs> like doesn't anyone else <laughs> see what I'm seeing? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> you know, yeah. and then I, I later on I said, well, and the horse is tense because he's being held in a very unnatural head and neck position by the rider, and he's f- having difficulty finding his balance, and this is this makes a horse very uncomfortable. And this is why he's tense and grinding his teeth and sweating too much. And then someone else said, well, David, how do you expect to get the hind legs engaged if you don't take, take the reins and put the horse's head down? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> try riding back to front. Riding back uh-huh. to front? <laughs> yeah, and this is all, I mean, this is very old classical rules. I mean, even it says it in the, in the rule books, although unfortunately seems to be that the rule books are being changed a little bit too, to. Yeah. 
I was I was just gonna bring that up. Um, one of my favorite parts of the rule book, which I quote all the time, was was Article Four Hundred One. You know, the object of dressage, and and I would recite that in front of dressage trainers and have them go, oh, that's really beautiful. What's that from? Mm -hmm. And I go, the Mm -hmm. rule book, (laughs) you know, and people are like, I've never heard that before. But yeah, they recently um, re, oh, this is air quotes, uh, reorganized the rule book. And they actually took that part out, the object of dressage and sort of the qualitative and descriptions of the movements, the most beautiful part. And they moved it to, um, a, now they describe it as a guideline and they put it in a section called useful documents. So mm-hmm. I was going to ask you what your thoughts on all that is, because that just seems really uh, yeah. backwards. Well, and it's and also the like in the, the training pyramid, it's, it's still rhythm is number one. And number two, it used to be relaxation. Now they changed it to suppleness. I think... Wait, they did? Yeah. It's now... Oh, gosh. I missed that Not one. relaxation, Ooh. but suppleness. And, okay, you and I both know that oh a horse needs to be somewhat relaxed to be supple. Except that now the, the horses are being bred with so much natural elasticity that they can be tense and maybe still look... Okay, so then what's the difference between suppleness and elasticity? For some people... You know, some people think suppling the horse means pulling the the head left and right, um, yeah. and um, but actually that makes the the horse's body quite tight. You know, if if you're being attacked, you're not mm-hmm. going to relax. <laughs> you know, so right, yeah, it's you no know, things are changing. And breeding horses with sort of a hyper mobility, right. in the guise of suppleness, it's actually just flailing limbs which is makes exactly. them more stable and yes and the vicious cycle. you know i mean imagine um you know if you put a lot of these riders on on the old trichaner you know they wouldn't put up with that <laughs> those horses would yeah. would protest <laughs> and sure. a lot of the warm bloods <laughs> protest too i've i've heard of you know um, for example the, the student of mine in Germany, um, who, um, is, a, also a journalist. She, um, she contacted me uh, a couple of years ago and she said, um, I just, I want to tell you about this horse. Maybe you have a student somewhere in, in Europe that would be interested. Uh, it was a, it was an approved stallion as a three-year-old. Um, it came out of a very well-known, um, sales barn and was sold for like 300,000 euros. Um, and, um, now the horse is in a, in a sales barn in somewhere in the North of Germany and you can buy him for 7,000 euros and because he's unrideable. Oh boy. You know, and a lot of these expensive young auction horses, you know, you, you don't see them again. Um, and it's just yeah. sad because, um, yeah, they've been pushed and, and physically and or mentally broken down. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really a shame. Yeah. They're, they're bred to, you know, be a dressage horse, <laughs> But right. that's, you know, there's no such thing as a dressage horse. It's just we decided right. that's what they need to do. But there's, you know, there's the physical body, but yeah. there's so much else yes. going on. And uh, I bred Florentine to be a dressage horse, but he prefers jumping. <laughs> there, yeah. And and I listened to him. Well, actually, he, he told me when I when I didn't listen, when I tried to talk louder than than he he talked and and, uh, you know, told him that he needed to do dressage he let me know that (laughs) no this is not going to work he just he's he's got a lot of i mean he's got a naturally cadenced um trot and i mean when he was six he could trot an eight meter circle and not miss a beat and but then 
one day I thought, well, he's, he's, he could go more forward. So I'm going to put spurs on. And then they're like, oh, well, now he's going forward, but he's leaning on my hand. So I'm going to start using the double bridle. Well, with spurs and a double bridle, and I tried to do this small circle, and he couldn't keep his rhythm because he um, he tensed up against, you know, these sharper instruments. And, and he's, he really lets you know how he feels. He's like, Oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. Well, and, clearly David, you yeah, needed, I, um, you needed so I, more suppling exercises in draw reins. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, oh, but why, clearly, why didn't yeah, I think of know? that? I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And that's what a lot of trainers would have done. You know, it's like, okay, well now he's, now we're going to put another contraption on and now he's going to do it. So I'm still learning from Florentine. He's 18 years Mm -hmm. old. And um, my goal with him was that he would be happy and healthy and knock on something that's he's, I don't put any protection on his legs. He's barefoot. He's got clean legs and I could ride him to the grocery store if I wanted to, you know, I can, it's funny. There's a, um, the Land Rover Defender. It's like our Jeep Wrangler. It was a, uh, you know, it was a um, military vehicle originally, and they're they're they can pull heavy things, but they're they're not. You can't. They don't go very very fast. Um, so I saw a bumper sticker somewhere um, in Germany, I think, on a on a Land Rover Defender, and it said, "I might be slow." but I can go anywhere. <laughs> That's <laughs> just like Florentine. He, he, he may not, he may not want to do dressage, but I honestly, I can go, um, I can ride past loud machinery. And in fact, this morning I, I wished I had taken my phone out of my pocket and filmed it. I'm hacking around the block and this real big truck, um, came up behind us and, you know, and he slowed down because, you know, it's Wellington, there are horses everywhere. And most drivers are very um, considerate and, you know, they're careful and don't go whizzing by you. But, um, you know, I don't have to shorten the reins or anything. It's like, oh, my God, there's a truck coming. No, it's like, yeah, there's a truck coming. Yeah. So what? Nice. And um, so it passed us and. Florentine started to then he moved over and cause I made him go over to the mm-hmm. side <clears throat> and I'm still on the, on the pavement. But anyway, as soon as it passed us, he kind of sped up and went, uh, I like, and I, so I asked him to trot and, and I said, go get that truck Florentine. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a, a funny video. Oh, that's hilarious. Just no. Yes. He, he, he doesn't spook from trucks. He chases them. That's hilarious. So, um, and that's partly in his genes, but it's also, you know, I've, I've, I've read him myself. So I raised him and, and, um, we were stabled in the, in the, in a barn in the city of Aachen, Germany, when he was three years old. And, um, there was, you know, there were a couple of small grass paddocks and, um, but, you know, only there was a, indoor arena and outdoor arena, but no really place to hack. So I would ride him through the streets and you could hack, uh, for about 20 minutes, you had to cross a major intersection. Um, and, um, and you could ride to the, to the forest of often again, endless wow. trails. And I did that with him as a three-year-old stallion. Um, just like, no, cause he already let me know that he was bored if we went into the arena you know, too many times he wouldn't, didn't really get, want to go forward. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, so he's used to all of that. That's cool. So again, he might be slow, but go he anywhere. can go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, um, this idea that I, I think horses are perfect until someone comes along and asks them to do something that they can't do. Right. So it's just a matter of right. listening mm-hmm. to them and, you know, changing our choices of what we ask them to do. And, and it's also a bit about, you know, how do we measure success? 
And it sounds like, you know, how you measure success has probably evolved over the years. I know it has for me. And it's, it's something I keep asking myself because I have to keep, I, I have been evolving. And if I don't notice that I'm evolving, I find I have this old measure of success. And if, and often if I have a bad time with my horse, I realize I was trying to achieve that. And that doesn't feel good to me. It's like, okay, I got that line of tempies, but uh, it didn't feel so good. Right. You know, it didn't feel good on the inside. And so yeah. I have to keep reminding myself, like, what what's my measure of success? And every day, you know, live mm-hmm. up to that and make sure I'm not accidentally or out of old habit trying to live up to somebody else's measure of success that doesn't feel right for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a wonderful experience with Figaro in 1997 at the Nita Fall Show. Uh, it was a CDI and um, I, we, we won the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix special. Um, and so, of course, I was thrilled with that those results but the the real reward was that when i came out of the arena and some woman that i didn't know came up to me and she said your horse was the only horse in in the whole class that looked happy and that was a huge reward you know even had had we been fifth place you know that that was great that was wonderful Mm -hmm. to hear Nice. And that was that the show that kind of led to you um, connecting with Garrett Heuschman? Was that the show? No. Somehow? That... No, this happened later. Um, it was, uh, I think, um, 2005. Um, I was living in Germany and um, um, I was asked by um, there's an uh, Austrian. Um, she's a, a doctor, uh, not, not a, a physician, but she's Frau Dr. Ulrike Thiel. And <laughs> she's written some books. Um, she's very much against Rollcourt and, um, she's written a couple of books. One is, uh, the English translation would be, um, to be ridden. And so I, I think she's her speciality is to 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 know what the horse is thinking, and um, so she had invited Garrett Heuschman um, and myself um, together with her to give a sort of a symposium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just one day, and in the morning, each of us gave a PowerPoint presentation, and. Um, and then in the afternoon we went into the arena and, um, you know, did some riding and, and, um, that was when I met Garrett Heuschman okay. after my, or during my PowerPoint presentation, he raised his hand. And he, he said, I have to say, I've never heard these words come out of a Grand Prix rider's mouth. Wow. Um, so um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, a um, yeah, very, I feel fortunate that I was invited to, to take part in that symposium and meet him. And, and at the end of the day, um, he told me that, um, they were going to be making a DVD and would I be interested in writing in it? And I said, of course. <laughs> so that's how that all came about. Yeah. No, that was, that was really cool. And that was a, it's a, such an important uh, DVD, I think. It made a big impression on me. Yes. It's like, oh, there's people out mm-hmm. there talking about this. Um, yeah, what are, yes. what are yes. your feelings? I, I'm not alone. Yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah. What, what are your feelings of this, this, I don't know, there's like the sport and then there's the art. And I think, I always thought they were supposed to go together. But what are, what are your feelings yes. on the is there a chance for the sport? Can it be artfully done? You know, what, <laughs> what are your feelings on all that right now? Well, it's a good question. And again, for me, I always thought it should be the same too. For me, 
uh, dressage is number one in art form that just happens to be a competitive sport right. as well. Um, and um, uh, one of my one of my first um, dressage trainers um, was Tom Poulin. Um, I was 19 when I took the working student position with him. And uh, he just um, gave his notice to the USEF that he'll be retiring from judging um, at the end of this year. And he wrote a beautiful letter um, of resignation. And um, it's on his daughter's um, Instagram page, um, Elizabeth Poulin. Um, but he, you know, he talked about how for him also dressage is number one, uh, an art form. And that's how he got interested in, in dressage and because he was studying art and, um, yeah, it's really a, a really beautiful letter. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, is there hope? Um, <laughs> I think what needs to happen is that we need more really good um, examples out there in the show ring that are also appreciated by the, by the judges. And um, I think um, I'm, I'm very happy to see um, uh, Jessica, Vandal von Breda with Dallara doing so well because I think it's quite harmonious and and the judges are are rewarding the the harmony and the correct correctness and um, so that's that's hopeful um, and but yeah we unfortunately we still see a lot of um, very forced riding but the horses are so talented that they can put up with it and they, and they, they still perform and they get very high marks, um, because they're so expressive. And, um, so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's just, it's really up to the judges to, um, to reward correct riding. Okay. But then what is correct riding? You know, everybody, <laughs> you and I have the same, opinion on what is correct and what is incorrect. I mean, it should be, first of all, horse friendly. And, um, yeah, what you see out there a lot is, um, you know, it's not very horse friendly and you can see, you can see it in the horse's eyes. You can see it in their, in their tail. And, you know, you can just tell if they're really, you know, under pressure and they're stressed or if they're doing it with, with joy and ease. And, um, and that's, uh, you know, that's the big difference. Like you were saying, you know, you, it's like, yeah, I got those tempi changes today, but it didn't feel very good. And for me too, I, I, I would rather ride a training level test that felt harmonious than a Grand Prix that felt like a wrestling match. You know, that, that doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. If I feel like I'm wrestling with horse and, um, you know, there was a time that I would get into wrestling matches, um, when I was younger and, and less, um, experienced. Um, that's another thing that, that, uh, I had a conversation I, when I, when I read that letter of rec, resignation from uh, Tom Poole and I called him and um, told him how much I appreciated it and um, and I said yeah I'm, I'm back in Wellington since eight years now but I um, you know and I'd, I had built up a, a big following in Europe and it's not happening here and I said because people people will take some lessons from me, but then they quit because they don't, they don't understand what I'm doing and they think it takes too long. And he just right away, he said, well, they're not mature enough. And I thought that was great. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it has to do with maturity. Um, we should, as we get older, should, we should become more 
more refined and more knowledgeable. Um, and um, that's what's happening to me. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm um, you know, used to be that I, my happiness was on, you know, how many blue ribbons I could win. And now I, it's just, you know, these really special moments um, from the saddle or from the ground when I notice that my horse um, understands me and wants to cooperate. And um, so that's, that's what makes me happy. Yeah. And helping other people to find that with their horses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, At the end of your book, um, uh, you said something also that I could really relate to. And um, this is from the book. You said, my horses are all healthy and happy, and that is enough. It's a beautiful feeling to be greeted with a knicker when a new working day begins with them. Perhaps they know I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a, you know, so it's funny you said, you know, you're, you live in Wellington now. And I thought it's so important that you're in Wellington, but I also thought, oh my gosh, David, <laughs> you're, you're just not a Wellington <laughs> kind of guy anymore. I don't think, <laughs> but um, hopefully you can have a positive effect. <laughs> yes. And, and there are a lot of good things about Wellington. There are bridal paths. I mean, there's a fabulous trail system. You know, when it's not 95 degrees and 98% humidity, <laughs> like we're having at the moment. But, um, you know, and you can do a lot of training on uh, on those trails. You know, there some are grass, some are, are um, with, you know, some footing. It's not soft. It's not really meant for training. But, um, and I ride a lot on the, on the asphalt. You know, I think um, there's a... a a nice test that I do with Florentine. I like to pick up a trot and sort of zigzag across the street um, from the, from the pavement to the grass, from the grass to the pavement, from the pavement to the grass, from the grass to the pavement without him missing a beat, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I know that he's, his feet feel good because he was barefoot till he was 14. He had no problem in Europe, but, um, with the you know the moisture here in in Florida, it's tricky. His, his hooves got too soft, and and I didn't. I now I have a really good farrier that um, gives some really good tips. For example, he said, "Well, you need to soak in the summer. You need to soak his feet in white vinegar." Um, he said that will harden them up, and it also kills any bacteria. It's the, the bacteria that gets into the into the hoof that makes it weak as well. So. I did have him shod for um, for three years, but um, uh, I didn't like the the shape that his feet were becoming. And again, I'm like, this this can't happen because my goal was that he's going to get old and he's going to be sound and happy. So I said, just take the shoes off. And um, so it's a it's a good test of you know to make that I'm sure that his hooves are not tender. Yeah. If we can do that, yeah. trot from the grass to the asphalt and back onto the grass, and that he doesn't hesitate going from the grass to the yeah, to the so asphalt. It's so good for their proprioception so. and just yeah, all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. I um, uh, I have a neighbor who's a trainer, and she had a, a young horse that was for sale and was barefoot, and he had actually trouble with his feet. And I trim a little myself, so I went over and helped, and he became sound. Mm-hmm. But when she um. She showed him for sale. He passed the vet. The vet there was like, this horse is great, whatever. And um, then the trainer pulled her aside and said, how dare you show a horse barefoot that's so unprofessional? Oh, my God. <laughs> Just, oh. So, oh, you know, boy. and this, See, is, this, this is, is a significant, <laughs> it's a significant thing, too, because the minute you shoe the horse, now it doesn't go out in the herd or with any other horse. So now it's socialization right. is all. So there's there's huge ramifications just from a little decision like that. And and of all yes. the reasons why to put shoes on because it looks professional is like <laughs> right, right. I'm I'm oh, I'm no, so shocked. That's, but, that's, um... <laughs> this makes me think of a. It has nothing to do with 
with the hooves or shoes. But when I was in that stable in the city of Aachen, there was there were a couple of German licensed instructors there, and um, uh, and I was starting a, a three year old under saddle, and I had it on the lunge just with a, a either a halter or or a lunging cabison and. Um, and I heard afterwards, someone said, Oh, I, I heard that, that trainer say to the, her student standing next to her watching saying, what is he doing? How does he expect that horse to learn to go on the bit without side reins? Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah. I'm like, um, again, try teaching horse to push from behind swing in its back and reach into the contact. Oh boy. And she's a licensed German professional. So I, I think, you know, they must teach them. You must lunge with side reins. Right. Right. I don't know. It's just, you know, well, like, we're, I, like I said, it's yeah, the, the, no, we're weirdos. Dressage has become <laughs> the skill of getting horses to do things they don't want to do. Where, I mean, my measure of yes. success is the horse understands what's being asked of it and he willingly offers when given the opportunity. It's like, there, he understands mm -hmm. and he wants to. <laughs> and my job yes. is to get yes. him to want to, <laughs> you know, once he understands. Right, right. Um, but yeah. And, and, and you have to be creative, you know. Not every horse learns the same way, just like children, yeah. I'm sure, you know, just... Um, yeah, you have to be open to figuring out what works for that horse. Yeah. So but that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. So David, um, if you had a, a message to the dressage world, and I, there's kind of two, a message to the dressage world, but then a message to horse professionals. I don't know. You can pick one or both of those. Do you have a... Give us hope, David. Share your wisdom. <laughs> well, I think, um, again, the, you know, the title of my book is My Horses Have Something to Say, and I think uh, whether you're an amateur or a professional, I think it's really important that you listen to your horse. It's a, it's a two-way street. Um, something um, that I've, uh, it, it came up when I had an interview with a, a Dutch magazine when I first moved back to Europe in um, 2004. Um, and uh, it just, came out of my mouth. I just said, my horse should be my dance partner, not my slave. And, um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we talked about slavery earlier. It's, it's, it's not a nice thing. Um, and, um, so, and yeah, I, I have just as much respect for, animals as humans and um i think you know the horses 
deserve respect and to be treated with respect and not not used you know it should be a partnership um you know and, and it when you ride a horse or or it again it starts from from the what you do with the horse on the ground but it should be a dance not a wrestling match in my opinion i never liked wrestling <laughs> <laughs> I did like dancing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like harmony. So Me too. And there's also also um a German saying um it translates to to this um uh, where violence begins knowledge ends. Mm-hmm. So and you know I none of us are perfect sometimes we lose our tempers and we get impatient but um i know from experience when that happens to me it i'm always very sad afterwards um i yeah i don't i don't enjoy being forceful and dominating a horse or a dog or you know or a person you know it's just not it's not rewarding it's not nice and it's not rewarding. Yeah. No, I, it's not fair. I can, I can relate to that. And I think that's when I was reading your book, they're just the heart of the book. I just really connected with, and you know, it's full of stories, you know, stories of all your horses from when you were a kid and all the way up to internationally competitive horses. And the theme I picked up on was just, you know, to tell the story of the horse, but there was always this sort of mistake made, or, you know, whether it was by you or by somebody else and a mistake in the, you know, something that went against the horse, you know, and didn't serve the horse. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. reading the book, I just was reminded, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I have a long list of horses I need to apologize to. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I try to learn whenever I get that feeling of like, ah, oh, that just that I didn't do my best, you know, and that's that feeling sticks with me. And I'm, trying to avoid that feeling by being present mm-hmm. and trying to do my best and know where I'm measuring my success. And uh, anyway, I just really appreciated the the spirit and the tone of the book it was very humble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes across just talking to you. It's from a very humble place, even from your great, you know, depth of experience. But this quest to do right by the horse that's in front of you mm-hmm. Um, is really strong. So, and uh, your love for Figaro really yeah. comes through, which is beautiful. Yeah, he was an amazing horse. And I, uh, I, I first saw him when he was three months old, and I think I was twenty-seven years old at the time, and I didn't sleep that night. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about that foal. <laughs> I had to have him, and. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate to have sponsors that enabled me to go to Europe and like three times. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I had a lot of disappointments too, you know, twice I was sent once, once he was at FEI level, I was sent to Europe and, um, and if the listeners, um, might read my book, they'll, they'll hear the story, but, um, you know, two times I, um, I went to Europe to train with top trainers and we got to our first horse show and, and he pulled a suspensory. So, um, yeah, we, we went through a lot together and I, I think nowadays I, I could have avoided that. Um, had I known then what I know now, but, um, you know, that's the, the learning process. So, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we should never stop learning and and we keep listening we keep learning if we keep listening to our horses so beautiful thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today um i would i think we definitely i would love to visit with you and i don't know coffee wine (laughs) just a horse that's all we need (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah it's so so nice to just meet a 
like I said in the beginning, a, a kindred spirit and just someone of your experience. And, yes. you know, you did a lot in the, in the competition world and have, you know, a, a voice hopefully um, among that caliber of rider and trainer. And uh, I hope, I hope that what you're saying is heard. Um, you listen to the horses and you use your voice. So um, I think, you know, the, the horse world needs needs more people like you and especially with your experience in the competition world you were in the competition world but not of the competition world and uh, yes, i just yes. i'm so appreciative of you um sending that message that day and uh and getting to meet you so thank you well thank you karen if this episode resonates with you make sure you subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.